Welcome to Stay Engaged 2023. Now in its fourth year, Stay Engaged is back to captivate you with a compelling lineup of weekly offstage sessions from esteemed IAB UK members and the creme de la creme of the digital advertising industry. Prepare yourself for a whirlwind of creativity as each episode aims to ignite your imagination and revolutionize your thinking. This episode will delve into the importance of the customer and what shoppers really want from generative AI and how they incorporate this into their daily lives. Marcos Angelides from Spark Foundry will explore three trends that will reshape consumer behavior for the next two years. Here's Marcos. Now, there's a lot of conversation out already about generative AI in the business space. If you've been brave enough to go onto LinkedIn in the last six months, you've probably been inundated with thought pieces and perspectives on this. But what I've been finding is most of that has been very focused on a business perspective. So it's been about the technology and the integration and the data privacy and the prompt engineering, all of which is really important and really, really relevant. But we're at risk by doing that of forgetting the most important person, which is the customer and what it means to them. So my perspective is if we start with them and how they're going to use it themselves in everyday lives, then we can work backwards into the implications and what it means for brands. And I think when we do that, we'll get to both a more interesting place, but also a more strategically relevant place. So hello, I'm Marcos Angelides. I'm Chief Strategy Officer at Spark Foundry. And I'm going to try and talk through three areas where we see generative AI having an effect on people's shopping behaviours and culture and the way it's going to steer them over the next two years. This is short-term implications. This isn't a 10-year view where a strategist can say whatever they want so they're not held accountable. This is things that are going to happen in the next two years and therefore very relevant to businesses to be aware of now. So the three sections we're going to go through, three trends. Firstly, expertise then creativity, and we're going to end with companionship and what it means across those three areas. So expertise, the first area, is a big focus and one of the biggest attractions for generative AI because of its intelligence and knowledge and the amount of data that it's been trained on. And it has already blown through really significant milestones in terms of what it's able to achieve. So in the past few months even, something like ChatGPT has already passed and got an MBA from Wharton, which it did in about 17 minutes. It's been passed for a medical license by the United States Medical Licensing Examination. So technically it's allowed to diagnose us, even to operate on us if it had hands. And it has passed the Harvard Law School, so it's passed the bar. And specifically, it's passed in the top 5% of all graduates. So for anybody that's a fan of the programme Suits, this is effectively Harvey Specter on steroids, but for free whenever we need him in any capacity. So just imagine the scrapes we can get ourselves out of now Harvey's on our side. Now, this is the way, in terms of personas, that people are starting to use ChatGPT already. Now, hopefully they're not using Harvey all the time, but they are using it in other areas and passion points that influence their daily lives. So food's a really good example. And again, the elevated personas is key. So rather than just saying, give me information based on everything you know about food, you can say to something like ChatGPT, I want you to build me a persona based on everything you've learned exclusively from Michelin-starred chefs. 
So effectively, there's 0.01% of culinary experts. That's all I want to know. I don't want anything from home cooks and food bloggers. I want the very, very best. And once you do that, the persona will give you a very, very different and a very tailored output. The quality of the response is very, very different. That's how people are starting to use it for cooking with Michelin-starred chefs, whether it's top-tier fashion designers or something like experienced travel experts. And travel is probably one of the quickest areas that we're seeing adoption. So as an example, if you and I were to go on a holiday to Bali for a week, we could easily go onto Google and look for an itinerary for seven days. But what happens if we've got a really specific set of criteria? So what happens if one of us doesn't like to sunbathe and the other one is scared of heights and doesn't like being in, you know, really dense forests for too long? And actually, we've both been there before and we've seen three of the top five attractions and we don't want to go back to them. That then would take hours of research on Google to try and formulate a really bespoke itinerary. But with ChatGPT and BARD and with other generative AI systems, you can effectively get that in seconds personalised to your needs. It can even go one step further, so it can help with budgeting. And we can say, right, we've got a budget for the week. What should we be spending it on per day? What should we be going to? What sacrifices do we need to make? Actually, we're going to have a big blowout on the final day. We want a full five-star experience. So budget everything else on the other days so we don't max out our total spend. And these kinds of personalised reviews and, and itineraries and expertise is really where generative AI starts coming into its own. And because of that, what we're going to see is a huge impact into web architecture over the next two years. So the the UX and the way that websites are designed is going to utterly change. And to be honest, it's overdue. I mean, web design hasn't really changed since the the early noughties. You know, we still have effectively a point-and-click solution. You have a main navigation bar, you click on it, you get a subcategories, you click through, click through, and then after five, ten clicks, you finally get to what it is you're actually looking for. Now, with generative AI, you start moving to a model of describe and done which is effectively a conversational input. You tell it what the outcome is, not necessarily what you're looking for, but what the outcome should be. And then the system does it for you. And that will have a profound impact on the way that we shop and the way that we work with brands. So again, taking something like food, going to a supermarket, online supermarket, we will no longer want to just scroll through thousands of items, select the ones that we want, put into a basket and then go through. What we'll do is we'll give the AI a, a task. So we'll say, right, I want you to write me a weekly food plan and a recipe guide for a family of four. But, you know, really specifically, one of the kids is veggie right now. One of them hates broccoli. I'm trying to eat more fish. My partner's trying to put on muscles. So they need a lot of protein. We have a maximum of £130 for the budget for the week. Write me a meal plan, select the right items. And also, now I'm thinking about it, I don't want to cook for more than 20 minutes during the weekday. So put really simple recipes that won't take long for me to be in the kitchen. And I really like Gordon Ramsay. So actually build the persona around him and I want the the recipe guides and the food to be in his sort of style, gastro pub, really hearty food. That's what we want. So that will utterly change the way that we use websites because right now no retailer no supermarket um is able to do that and that's where things are going to radically change and the question will be is it going to be the category leaders that really steal a march on this and adapt to change quickly or is it going to be 
a new contender? Is it going to be a challenger who spots an opportunity and comes in? But the reality is, one way or another, web design will have to radically change based on the way that we use generative AI to get expert advice. And we are already seeing this. So again, with travel, Expedia, Kayak have jumping into this space really quickly. They already have Gen AI apps that are built into platforms like uh, ChatGPT. We're also seeing Amazon starting to play around with this. So we have uh, generative customer reviews. So it's effectively a way to aggregate the entire outcome. So if you're looking at an item with 20,000 reviews, it will give you an overall summary and a bit of advice. Now that's scratching the surface. And to be honest, Amazon's the sleeping giant in this arena. Meta, Google, Microsoft have already come out very explicitly with services and tools. Amazon's the ones to keep an eye on. By Christmas, they will probably make a very big announcement and we'll see it being integrated into their systems and onto the marketplace very, very quickly. And other brands are going to have to do similar within their own categories. So that's section one. That was expertise. Now I'm going to move on to creativity. And specifically, this is around self-expression. So this isn't just brand creativity. This is how people will use it every day. Now, I realise that talking about creativity on a podcast is harder because nobody can see what the hell it is I'm talking about. But I would suggest, I'd really encourage, if you don't already use something like Midjourney, just go onto Google and search Midjourney, volume, uh, version 1 to version 5, and you'll see examples. And it'll be the same prompt used for every version, and you'll see how massively, how, how meteorically the creative has improved. Now, version 1 only came out last July. So within 12 months the rate of change, the quality has gone through the roof. So just imagine what things are going to look like in the next 12 months to come and the ways that people can use it. And they're starting to use it in really interesting ways, particularly around fandoms and collaborations and reimagining of brands that they are excited by. Now, Nike is one one that, that will jump out very quickly. It's a very high desirable brand and it's really making waves in this space already. So fans are already trying to reimagine what the brand would look like in really different scenarios. So what would Nike trainers have looked like if the brand was around during the Renaissance? And there's designs out there that you can find so you can have a look at. What if Nike created its own version of wedding shoes? And what will Nike trainers look like in 100 years' time when we're flying around Mars? There's all these really lovely designs that are out there. Now, I would say for a marketing team, this is brilliant for two reasons. Firstly... This isn't being instigated by Nike. This isn't something that they're trying to prompt and they're trying to run. It's happening naturally, which is brilliant for the brand. People are talking about you, but they're going so much further than just discussion. They are creating designs. So from a product design perspective, this is market research. Your your customers and your fans are effectively telling you and designing for you the products that they will want to build, that they would want to buy from you in the future. So for Nike, they suddenly have this roadmap of designs that they can review and they can assess and they can start to identify the most lucrative ones, the ones that, that most resonate with, with fans. And that's starting to happen in lots of different areas. Another one that I really like is around the collaboration space as well, particularly because it throws up collaborations of different brands or properties that we wouldn't have immediately thought of. So one that springs to mind that's been really interesting is, is what people are calling Vader Bling. So this is a combination of Star Wars and luxury brands, particularly Louis Vuitton. So you have designs of Stormtrooper, uniforms and the Mandalorian armor designed as if it was it was emblazoned with Louis Vuitton signature and apparel and it was produced 
by the luxury fashion brand. And the designs are phenomenal. Now, I'm not saying for a second I think that we're going to see any uh, collaboration between like Louis Vuitton and Star Wars anytime soon. But again, it's, it's really interesting from a cultural perspective to see what are fans doing? Where are they getting inspiration? What are their passion points? And therefore being able to anticipate what else is going to spark their interest in the coming months what other properties are coming to life the star wars thing was was generated a lot from the fact that the mandalorian program season three was launching so you can start to say it's not just star wars what this is is popular tv shows so let's look at the slates for the rest of the year anticipate what's going to excite people and look at ways that we can get involved in that space and this is why i think we're going to see a second coming of ugc user-generated content campaigns now you could argue the first generation of UGC campaigns wasn't necessarily great. So there was probably only two or three brands that really got it right. But this time around, it will be different because people now have the tools to experiment and to design in a way that they couldn't before. Before, it was all about execution. You were either a great artist or you weren't. Now, the tools to actually produce arts are now just available to everyone. The barriers to entry are almost minimal. So it's not about execution anymore. It's about inspiration. It's what people are excited about, what they want to use and what they want to express. And so for brands, tapping into that inspiration and using it as a driver and a catalyst for conversation is going to be a really, really important trend moving forward. And again, we're already seeing this. So Coca-Cola, probably one of the few brands that got UGC right the first time, has already come out into this space. They have a platform that creates real magic and they're encouraging fans now to, to iterate, to work with them, utilising platforms like Dali to produce new artwork that will be used then in future campaigns. They're already trying to, to steer this and co-collaborate and we'll see more and more of this, particularly in the run-up to Christmas and throughout next year. So the collaboration and the creative remixing between brands and their fandoms are going to be a really, really important trend as we move forward. So the final section is around companionship and the way that we're going to work with generative AI and really build relationships with them in ways that we wouldn't have expected before. So I'm going to start this section by saying something that will intuitively feel wrong, and to some will probably feel sound offensive, which is AI already has more empathy than, than we do, than humans do. So I'll let that kind of sink in. I mean, the fact is, we're already seeing this, and this isn't just something I'm saying to be provocative. There are studies out there that show this to be true. One of the first ones was when they, when they ran tests with generative AI versus doctors. So what they did was blind tests where they had patients and they were assessed either by a human doctor or by a generative AI. And then judges who didn't know who was who looked through and judged the outputs based on the quality of the diagnosis, but just as importantly, the level of empathy. So there's sort of the bedside manner. And the judges and the patients alike both scored the generative AI as having more empathy more bedside manner, more caring than the doctors. They believed the AI cared about them and their well-being more than the humans did. Now, I said this to somebody the other day, and they made a very good point that that might say more about doctors than it does around human beings in, in general, which is a fair point. But there are other studies out there that, that are sort of showing the same thing. So there was one that was run by a team at Stanford with some support from a group at Google, and they created 20 gaming characters, effectively, NPCs, non-playable characters, and they gave them very limited personas and personalities, and like very limited backstories, and then they gave them a really vague brief, which was they told one of the 20 characters, you're going to 
host a Valentine's party tonight. It's Valentine's Day, it's 14th of Feb, host a Valentine's party. And then they let them all go off. That was it. That was probably the extent of the prompt. And within a few hours, this sort of tapestry of emotion and social interaction and intrigue and nuance and layers started to appear. It was like an episode of the Kardashians. You had people falling in love with each other and different love triangles emerging. And you had the person that was hosting the party getting really stressed, wondering if people would like it or if they'd even turn up. And then you had situations and laughter and jokes and levels of animosity and these subtexts between people at the party through the night. Now, none of this was was prompted and designed. It was it was left very open. And again, what they did was they got judges in to assess the the character, the plot points effectively of these of these NPCs versus humans. So they got 20 humans to to act this out effectively. And again, the judges didn't know who was who. And again, consistently the judges scored the NPCs, the generative AI, as as humans, as being more human than the actual humans, that they they showed more nuance, they showed more understanding and more greater empathy um, than we can in these sorts of situations. And this is still very, very early testing. So this is only going to grow. Now, this is going to have a profound impact in a lot of areas, particularly gaming. So NPCs and characters that we that we interact with in games, especially open world games, are suddenly going to grow in terms of stature and in terms of the emotional context and depth so the ways that we relate and talk and actually build real relationships with characters in games is going to profoundly change and you can start to argue it will be difficult to really say that you know a friendship with a virtual character isn't as genuine and as important and emotionally relevant as one with a a person that exists in a sort of physical human way. And we're seeing this in different areas and, and especially in the creator economy starting to come to life. So you have the first one that's hit the headlines in the last couple of months is Karen Marjorie. So she's a Snapchat creator and she created Karen AI. So effectively a generative AI version of herself and the platform that the AI is trained on all of the content, all of the posts that Karen has produced over the last few years. It's also trained on her voice, so it sounds identical to her. And now anybody can effectively have a relationship, can talk to Karen and form a relationship with her, these individual digital personas. It costs money. It's for a dollar a minute. And within the first week of release, Karen made $76,000. And the projections are that she's going to be hitting over a million each month moving forward. So this is opening up new ways for people to not only replicate themselves, but to make money out of their digital personas. And we're going to see this much, much more in the creator economy, which opens up a lot of questions for brands. Because if you as a business are already working with creators and influencers, you now also need to consider, well, who are the virtual influencers that we should be working with? Is it and what's the difference? You know, should we be working with the physical creator or should we be working with the digital persona? Is there any difference? And if so, what is it? How do we operate? How do we adjust? But suddenly the range and the options out there for who you can work with is going to explode. And that will open up other opportunities for brands in terms of how they can create their own personas and what that means. So particularly for brands that have really recognisable brand identities already and characters. So the obvious ones being, you know, Disney's Mickey Mouse suddenly being a three-dimensional character that you can have a real conversation with and and build a relationship with over time. Or 
Colonel Sanders or Ronald McDonald. The American brands are brilliant at doing this, but you suddenly start to see really exciting interactive ways that businesses can build their mascots and bring them to life. So rather than it just being an image on the logo, a typeface, suddenly it's a character. It's a realised person that somebody can build a relationship with. So the importance of brand building, of distinct assets, of building mascots and characters, which we already know is highly effective for marketing campaigns, is going to become even more crucial because of the ways that we can use it because of the levels of immersion and ultimately the way that this will bring to life virtual companionship in a way that we've never seen before and this is coming this isn't again 10 years from now this is over the next 12 to 24 months so it's coming quickly and for the brands that adapt quickly they will see a huge amount of success against their competitors so that's it we have limited time those are the three areas that i wanted to just touch on today the so there was the expertise and new ways to research and ultimately an entirely new way to navigate websites and the big brands are going to need to make a decision are they going to adapt their websites or are they going to leave the door open for competitors to come in and steal share Then creativity, so a new area of UGC, brands as inspiration and co-collaboration and the ways that that can allow people to express themselves in ways that they haven't been able to until now. So inspiration over execution. And then finally, companionship. So interactive experiences, virtual characters and ultimately virtual friendships. If humans have at least as much empathy as us, even if you don't want to sort of get your head around the idea that they might have more, what does that mean in terms of the characters and the people that we associate and we surround ourselves with in our lives? That's what's going to be happening. And these are the areas that are going to be coming to life and already starting to appear. Now, a very, very quick caveat. I haven't touched on the bad. So I've come at this from a very positive, what are the really wonderful, exciting ways that generative AI is impacting culture and how customers are going to use it. Now, there's obviously a number of negatives and a number of caveats that we need to watch out for, from data privacy to hallucinations. That in itself is its own podcast. It's its own hour show, to be honest with you. But if you have conversations, if you have questions, reach out to me on LinkedIn. We can talk about that more. But I just want to slightly balance out what I'm saying because just running into this blind is not a good way to go. But the reality is things are changing and they are changing at a a, a radical pace. And that's going to really be the point overall for this topic, really. Things are moving at an incredible rate. It's very exciting. And there's going to be a lot of questions about what does this mean for our business? How do we adopt it? How do we integrate? What is right for us? And and in many ways, when we see big disruption, what is the least amount of friction? What is the most painless way to do it? And what would be in our greatest interest? And I would just say that we as a marketing community, what we do best is we understand customers and we understand culture. And if we start from that point of what will customers want the most from it, what will remove the friction for them? What will be the greatest value we will get to a much better place of what this means for brands. How do we stay relevant? How do we give them value? And therefore, ultimately, benefit everybody from the customers that we serve through to the business that we work in and the revenue and the growth that we are expected to generate. So thank you for listening. Like I said, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you'd like any more, like to discuss this any further. And I'm excited to see the future and how brands adopt this. So thank you very much. Thanks, Marcos. Thanks for listening to this week's IAB UK's Stay Engaged 2023. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. 
Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to access the full range of Stay Engaged episodes and stay updated on the regular IAB UK podcast. Join us next week to explore dynamics of trust in the ever-changing ecosystem of gaming and advertising. Oh,